All right, we are studying evangelism through Jesus, uh, and we're looking at the way Jesus evangelizes, which is very different from the way the world uh, evangelizes. Uh, and last week, Jesus spoke out about legalism um, and uh, the danger of legalism, how legalism keeps us from evangelizing Jesus, how legalism keeps us from bringing people, the lost people, to God, because they, they see this giant wall that separates us from them. And so they can never feel the love of God when that wall has been created, which separates us. And so Jesus is going to follow that up today as he relates to a Gentile. And we're going to see Jesus speak to that Gentile woman and speak uh, about some very uh, hard topics about who he was called to direct his message to, first of all, uh, and then testing her faith. And so I think it's an important uh, passage to study. It's consistent with what we've been doing. We're going to start in Matthew 15, verse 21. And by the way, this is immediately after Jesus has spoken out about legalism of the Pharisees. Verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Now, often in the Bible, I'll stop, you'll hear demon possession. Uh, and in some cases, it's not really demon possessions. It may be uh, epilepsy, uh, seizures. Uh, and during that period of time, they kind of painted those kind of things as demon possession. Certainly, there were uh, legitimate cases of demon possession. Uh, be it what it may be, this girl was certainly very seriously ill. Uh, verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. That's how the world evangelizes. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed that very hour. I want to also look at a similar passage, uh, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Another amazing story about Jesus, about his, his gifts, uh, and about his call. And so as we, we drill down on this, uh, uh, this passage draws our attention because Jesus will now come face-to-face -face with a Gentile. Face-to-face -face with a Gentile. 
Uh, and so in Mark's presentation of what took place, it seems pretty clear that the encounter took place immediately after Jesus discussed the traditions of the elite, meaning the legalistic traditions that they had discussed. And so now, knowing that he had talked about the legalistic traditions, those very traditions would have certainly separated Jew from Gentile. How appropriate is it that a Gentile woman comes to him, comes to him and is seeking healing? Um, and so she is clearly a Gentile, uh, and uh, uh, she is not a Jew, and Gentiles at that period of time were considered pagans uh, in their culture. Uh, and yet you understand that as far as we are concerned now, as we look at this, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And Jesus was about to make that comment uh, at that very moment. Later on, this becomes extremely clear. If you look at Galatians chapter 3, you can turn there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greeks, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there you have it. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that wasn't the case at this moment in time because Jesus had... Point, uh, pointed his ministry towards the Jew. That was the call that God had made on him, to go and save the lost uh, people of Judaism, Israel. And so that was the call. And so this becomes somewhat of a difficult passage to translate because of that, because of some of the words that are, that are here. And so she hears about Jesus, and she believes in Jesus. And the question becomes, how would a pagan believe in Jesus? Well, a pagan would believe in Jesus because she's surrounded by Jews knowing about the fact that the Jews believed that they had a Messiah. And then she went into the synagogue and probably heard some messages. The synagogues were open to, to uh, pagans. They could go in and listen. They weren't prohibited from doing that. And then she, I'm sure, followed Jesus around and saw what Jesus said and saw what Jesus did. And so this woman had come to faith. She believed that Jesus was the Messiah. She believed that he was God. And so this becomes an important aspect of her faith. She has no doubt nor any hesitation. She, she shows herself completely different from all of those Jewish people that surrounded Jesus who refused to believe him. So here's the, the juxtaposition. You have the Jewish elite who have the legalism, who have the law, who have the commandments, who have the traditions, who have rejected the Son of God. And here's this woman outside of that purview, a Gentile, not being able to be called one of the sons of God, but a Gentile person. Yet because of her faith in who Jesus is, she jumps over them. She jumps over them. God is no respecter of persons. This is an important thing for you to understand as you evangelize. When someone comes to faith, I don't care about what their background was. I don't care about what they did uh, or about the sins of their past. When they come to Jesus, it's a clean slate. And so this Gentile woman now, because of her faith, is going to receive a tremendous gift. Her daughter is going to be healed uh, through Jesus. Uh, and so this is an incredible thing. She understood who the Messiah was. That was faith. That was God honoring her faith. Uh, and so this becomes an important lesson for us. And so I, I want you to see exactly how Jesus responds to this situation. 
When she comes to him first, he makes no specific response to her request. She doesn't. In fact, he simply listens to her. Meanwhile, his disciples are trying to drive her away. All right? They're trying to drive her away. He's, he needs to rest. He has no time for this. You're not part of the children of Israel. You're not part of what we're called to do. Leave him. Go away. And yet you see her persistence. She wouldn't go away. She wouldn't, she wouldn't leave Jesus alone. Um, and, and clearly, as far as the, gen, the disciples were concerned, they had no time for a Gentile, even one with some knowledge of Jewish hopes, even one with the beginnings of faith. Now, I would ask you, how many of us fall into that category? How many of us have no time for people who are outside our normal purview, outside our normal circle uh, of friends uh, or churchgoers? Uh, and God is saying to us today, open your eyes. You have a responsibility to spread the gospel, to spread the teachings of Jesus to the entire world. Don't think your world is bounded by the four walls of your denomination or your church. Look outside that. Look at what God is doing. God is calling all kinds of people, all kinds of people to his kingdom. And so here the disciples themselves, the guys who walked with Jesus uh, for three years, surrounding Jesus in every way, didn't get it. They didn't get it. They wanted her to leave. They had no time for us. Uh, and it's interesting because when Jesus met the, the Samaritan woman at the well, you could see that their mindset was the same way. You know, she's a woman, uh, and she's, uh, Samaritans were considered non-Jews. They certainly weren't Gentiles, but they were non-Jews. Well, this is one step below this. This is a full-bred uh, Gentile. And so what you see here as you study these passages, the words that come out is, first of all, I see in Matthew 15, she keeps crying out. That was a quote. Another quote, she fell down at his feet. Another quote, she begged him. Uh, and then Jesus makes this reply. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now let's drill down on what this is about. And what this is about is that Jesus' primary uh, attempt at bringing the salvation to this world was to come first to Israel, to come first to the Jews, to complete all of the covenantal promises that had made from the time of Abraham right through to the present, to the house of, of Judaism. That's what his primary call was. And, and here is the point that you need to understand. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. So when he came to this world, he was imbued with a human body. He was limited by that human body. Jesus was not omnipresent. Jesus could not appear in several places at the same time or mysteriously go from here and be in another country. Jesus was bound by the finite nature of the human experience. And so because of that, uh, it was clear that his mission was to the Jewish people first. He didn't have the time. He was set by a limitation. It was only going to be three years. And so within that three-year period of time, he focused extremely uh, uh, with, with great determination on the Jewish people. That was the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So when he says to her here, I was called only for the lost sheep of Israel, he is not saying I disdain you. He is saying this is the nature of the mission that I was given. It's important to understand this. It was the nature of the mission that I was given. 
Now, what's interesting is the response of the woman. Uh, when she sees this, she's undeterred by Jesus' initial silence and keeps out uh, requesting Jesus to intervene. Uh, and Jesus eventually speaks out to her, but making no direct reply on the plea. He doesn't say, yet your daughter is healed. Uh, instead, he says, and this, this is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. All right? And then he goes on uh, to use a quote. To quote, and, and the quote that he's using is from uh, e uh, either a popular saying or a Jewish proverb, uh, and it's about children and dogs. And he says, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus. What are you saying? Are you saying the Gentiles are the dogs? Are you saying the non-Jews are the dogs? Now, here's the point of why I say over and over and over again, do not take one word out of context, all right? Do not take a verse out of context and build a theology on that context, all right? Do you honestly think that Jesus would refer to, to the Gentiles as dogs when he would give his life on the cross for the world? Please. Well, what was happening here was that Jesus was using irony. He was actually making a comedic comment. He was saying to this woman, effectively, look, I came to the Jews first. Uh, you can't take the bread that, that, that's meant for the, for the children and, and then dispose of that same bread to the dogs. He meant it with a twinkle in his eye, with an ironic twist. And the reason you know that is because you look at how she commented back. It's so interesting when you see it. Um, and and she, because she, she says, well, effectively, well, uh, well, even the dogs, even the dogs have to eat. Even the dogs have to eat. So what you see here is this, this interplay between Jesus and this woman in which the woman knows that Jesus is kind of uh, making a, an ironic comment recognizing that you're a Gentile. And yet she says, I know who I am. I know I'm a Gentile, Lord, but even the Gentiles have to eat. Even they have to eat. And so you see this interplay between God himself and this Gentile woman. And what you see here is the faith of this woman growing even as she's having this colloquy with Jesus Christ. And so that's the, that's the correct way to read that. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Yes, even the dogs under the table eat the children's tongues, uh, crumbs. So it's not, a, it's not the fact that Jesus called them dogs, but rather it's the crumbs, all right? And so if you interpret, you misinterpret this and, and you categorize Jesus as being anti-Gentile, you have completely missed the whole point of God's call on Jesus to this world, completely. And so what happens here is Jesus recognizes the enormity of her faith, that she has stepped out, that it was difficult for her to do it, that people tried to keep her away, that she wasn't really supposed to be here, that she has somehow picked up the crumbs, and in picking up the crumbs, she has gleaned the fact that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. And so Jesus says here uh, that her faith has caused her daughter to be healed. 
right there. Now, this is the only instance in the Gospel of Mark where there is a healing at a distance. It is the only place. And so this draws attention both to the power of Christ and to the persistent and true faith of this Gentile woman. Uh, And so this is a lesson for us. Many Christians find the words of Jesus troubling here, but that's because they take words out of context. They take a sentence out of context, and we can't do that. We can be confident that Jesus is totally interested in her, just like Jesus was interested in, in the Samaritan woman at the well. We don't see any instance in the life of Jesus where, in fact, he doesn't show love to anybody that comes across him. We know that. Uh, and so what he does in this conduct that he has with her, in, in this colloquy that they have, he elicits her faith. He looks to see the faith that she has. How great is your faith? How consistent is your faith? Will your faith rise above obstacles? And in her perseverance, God honors this. There's a lesson. God honors this. So when we go through things When we go through times that may be difficult, when you answer, when you're asking God in prayer to deliver you, and yet somehow the answer doesn't come back immediately, God expects us to persevere in faith, continue to pray, continue to submit, even when the answer is not does not occur right away. And these are the lessons that we have to give to the to the world. I want you to turn to Psalm 10, verse 1. I wonder how many of us have made this prayer. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How's that? Lord, I need help. Lord, I'm praying to you. Lord, I need an answer. Lord, I need you to resolve this issue. And you pray, and you don't get an answer. And you don't get an answer. And you don't get resolution. And, and uh, uh, weeks go by. And months go by, and sometimes years go by, and we don't even understand the nature of what's going on. I was speaking recently to a brother who had been involved in in an issue that was terribly draining on him uh, for years. And he'd been praying for years, and I had prayed for years also, that this issue would be resolved. Uh, And finally, after about eight or nine years, uh, this issue was resolved. It was a complex uh, litigation. It was, it was something that this man should never have had the, the, the uh, misfortune to be involved in. He was trying to do the right thing, and yet he was somehow caught up in it, uh, and it cost him uh, millions of dollars. It cost him tremendous anguish and pain. I think it also affected his body, but eventually the, the matter was settled, and he said to me that he realized that his prayer for help was finally answered because what God had done by dragging, by dragging this situation out was that God had strengthened him, that his faith had become even stronger than it had ever been before. And he came to realize that he had everything that he needed in life right now and that what was taken away from him was unnecessary, was a distraction. Now, let me tell you something. That's a tremendous testimony. Who among us could say, Lord, I thank you, Father, that I've been dragged through court for eight or nine years that I've had to spend millions of dollars, that the resolution of this has caused, caused enormous pain to me. But Father, I recognize now when I pray, I recognize, Lord Jesus, that you had a plan for me in this life. This is what God wants us to come to realize. All right? So what does it mean? It means not everything you pray for is going to be answered right away. All right? It's not going to be answered right away. Why? Because he's got a greater plan for you than you have for yourself. 
All right? He's got a greater plan for you than you have for yourself. This is important to understand this. I had to understand this in my own life. You know, uh, and, and when I heard that testimony, I said, Lord Jesus, thank you for touching this man's heart, for giving him that wisdom. That's why we, pl- we pray for supernatural wisdom, to pray that God teaches us about what we're going through. So this is why often God does not answer right away, because he's got a greater plan in your life. And so th- some of us would sit here and write the narrative of that man's story, and we would say, oh, this is bad. This is a dark day. This is a bad story. And yet this man understood that it was the glory of God that was exhibited in the end because God had restored him, had saved him, had had strengthened him, and that the rest of his life he's going to be a stronger, more durable Christian who can speak into the lives of people who have pain. Because how are you going to speak to somebody who's dying? Or how are you going to speak to somebody who's suffering unless you have tasted the cup? Really? I mean, honestly, I say that myself when I go into these hospitals and I, and I look at people, how difficult it is, really how difficult it is often to speak to people who are dying. Well, this is how, because God has given you a taste of what it's about, and he's got a plan for your, li- your life, an even greater plan, an even greater plan than you have for yourself, really, an even greater. I told you that testimony in my own life, that when God called me into ministry at about the age of 50, and I was convinced that for me, the practice of law was over. I had great, you know, grand delusions. Grand delusions. Oh, yeah, I built this big law firm. I have, I have Fortune 500 clients. I'm representing Ford Motor Company and General Motors at the same time. Now that I'm going to do this, I know, God, you just prepped me to do something really big. So what is it? What big parachurch am I taking over? I'm ready. All right, I'm ready. Whatever it is, I'm ready. Is it the Salvation Army? All right, all right. What, what is it, God? What is the call? I'm ready to take it over. Yeah, no, no, no. Put your face in the dust. And a couple of years goes by, and nothing's happening. And that's the hard part. A couple of years goes by when you don't see God answering the prayers. All right, even spoke to Gary Chapman. He came down to my house, and I said to Gary, well, put the word out that I'm available. I'm not looking for a salary. Hey, how's that? You got a guy who'll take this job and he'll do it for free. You would think there'd be a line of people at your house, right? A line of people. No, 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 because that's not the will of God. And so you go through a couple of years, a couple of years in which uh, you're not sure where you're going. You're treading water. You trust in God, but you're waiting for an answer. And it's not fast. For me, it was a couple of years until finally, uh, when I'm in the uh, Port Royal Club on a meeting, uh, and Tom Lofgren in this class says to me, and this is now about 11 years ago, hey, you go to church with me. I see you there in that row. How about you and me starting a Bible study here in Port Royal? Now, as I told you, that the normal John Garippa, when hearing some kind of a request like that, would use the church weasel language. You know what church weasel language is. Let me pray about it. Let me pray about it, because that's the chance that I get to kind of deflect, all right? Yeah, I'll pray about it. I'm not going to really be tuning in too much, but I'll pray about it. But because God had spent three years working me over, you understand? Three years working me over, when he said, how about you and me doing this? I said, yes, like that. 
which was so unusual for me to say something that quickly, because God had prepared me in the prior three years. That's what the preparation of God is. And so here it becomes, as you understand this process. Uh, and so it starts. Now I'm in the house. Uh, and so now I'm thinking, okay, this is, and I know some of you know this story, but it bears repeating. Uh, you know, I said, all right, God, if this is what you want, this is your will, now I'm going to use my best efforts, my gifts, my talents, to expand this. I'm going to print up 500 postcards, and I'm going to send it, put it in the mailboxes of every person down here, because obviously, Lord, you have intended to pierce the heart of the Port Royal people. And out it went. And guess what? Not one response. Oh, Lord, what are you telling me? You understand? Do you see this, this voyage that we make as Christians? How, how we, we're trying to find the will of God, and then we step out a little bit, oh, because we stepped out on our own, the postcards, no, the, and the answer came back to me as I prayed about it. Look, brother, this isn't your Bible study. It's mine, all right? And I'll bring who I, who I determine I will bring, all right? Not who you will bring. This is not going to be about you. It's going to be about me. Just put your face in the dust. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad to say that now after, after 10 years, uh, we have uh, several people from Port Royal who come here. My good friend Ralph was one of the first uh, to come here, and he has brought others, and, they, and that's the will of God, one at a time, one at a time in the, in the will of God, not because I'm smart or loquacious or charismatic or all those things that come with the world's gifts of education. No, put your face in the dust. Look, if I want, I can call a donkey to advance the kingdom of God. We know that, Right? We know that story. So let's not lift ourselves up and, 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 and say that, you know, that we, we have a certain intellect or a certain number of gifts. We have to put ourselves at the bottom rung. And so here it is, this Gentile woman uh, at the bottom rung. And so Jesus is now sh uh, using her to show that her faith is so much greater, so much greater than all of these Jewish elites who have had the Bible, who have had the Scripture, who have had the prophets, who, who have had all these things, who have had the law and of all the commandments. And what's the bottom line? They rejected Jesus after they had everything that they possibly could have been given by God. And he finally gives them the Messiah, the answer that he had promised them 1,300 years before. All of that, all of that comes to naught. Uh, and Jesus is raising up this woman's faith as an example because she had a deep and passionate faith in God and the promised Messiah. Uh, and so Jesus' words uh, about the lost sheep of Israel are to be taken as a genuine statement, a genuine statement of his ministry purpose. If you had any doubt what was the purpose of, of Jesus, the initial purpose of Je Jesus was the lost sheep of Israel. And yet, he has a finite body. He has finite energy. He is not omnipresent. He can't be in two places at once. All right? We, you know, if you study uh, the life of Jesus, he only traveled about 30 miles from where he was born. How about that? His entire ministry was about 30 miles from where he was, was uh, born. It's one of the great uh, 
uh, statements that ever made that one solitary life. I hope you, you ever get a chance. You read it. If not, you can Google it. One solitary life, and it talks about the fact that he had he's had more of a of a presence in this world, impacting this world, than all the armies that ever marched. All the armies. All of the great governmental leaders, all of the great countries in the world have not had the impact that that one solitary life who never traveled more than 30 miles from his home. And so in this brief time, this finite time that Jesus has uh, in this world, and that's the thing God had decreed. It was three years. And if we were writing the story, what would we say? Oh, no, 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 not three years, Jesus. You're a young guy. Look. Come on now, you're just reaching your peak. This could be good. We could build a church, Jesus, right here. We could, and you see, no, no, no. God says, this is it. This is the end. Uh, and those of you who are with me on my Sunday know how Jesus orchestrated the end, how he was involved in every aspect of, of, of allowing himself to be taken and arrested because the time had come to an end. God calls it as, as he sees it. The time is, is now. And so Jesus comes to Israel in obedience in his word concerning the ministry of the Messiah. Um, and the Jewish people do have a priority in God's dealing with the human race. Let me repeat that. The Jewish people do have a priority. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. This is important that you understand this and get this uh, clear in your mind. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. All right? How do you like that? It is the power of salvation for everyone, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So it was within the will of God that the Jewish people were called first, that they were given the first opportunity because the plan of God was that the Jewish people would become the evangelists. The entire country of Israel would be a country of evangelism. While you're in Romans, look at chapter 9, verse 4. I'll start with verse 1 so we have continuity. I speak the truth in Christ. This is Paul now. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it. In the Holy Spirit, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So you say to yourself, Paul, why do you have great sorrow and increasing anguish in your heart? Why? For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Can you imagine having a prayer like this? I am so brokenhearted. That my brethren, the Jewish people, have forsaken Jesus Christ. I am so brokenhearted that I would give myself up. Whoa. I would give myself up if I knew that that would make the difference. You understand this? Great. Theirs is the adoption as sons. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. What is he saying here? They had everything lined up 
all of the covenantal promise, all of the patriarchs. They had the law. They had the commandments. They had the temple. Uh, they had the promises and, and, and traced the ancestral history of their people, including the human ancestry of the Messiah who came as a Jew. And yet what happened? They rejected him. They, they rejected him and they murdered him. Uh, and, and, and so you see, you see this powerful lesson about what's going on here. Uh, and how significant this is. Look also while you're in chapter 9. Look at verses uh, 30. Look at verse 30. Then, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? A righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it. Not by faith, but as if it were works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now, let me stop and say right there why that is important, okay? Uh, and, and, and this is, is it's understand this. Why did God all of a sudden take the Gentile people and move the Gentile people away from where the Jewish people were. The Jewish people were the promised people. They were the covenantal people. But at some point in time, God brings down the curtain. Now, it does not mean that he has uh, removed them forever. That's clear he has not. There will be a time when, when uh, this fog over the uh, eyes of the Jewish people will be lifted. And even now, individual Jewish people can come to faith that there is no, no hindrance for that, but as an uh, institutional group, institutional Israel, institutional Judaism, because of what's taken place, because they refused to accept Jesus Christ, their hearts were hardened, their eyesight is darkened, and they cannot see what, what they should have seen from the beginning. Uh, and we're aware of this in other places in Scripture. Uh, and he says here, and, and which is why we, as the Gentiles, have now been grafted onto that branch. Uh, and so he says here, and this is so poignant, as it is written in verse 33, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That, folks, is a citation to Isaiah chapter 8. And what does it mean? It means this. Jesus Christ is the stone. Jesus is that stone. And so God called Jesus to be that stone, set that stone in Zion. And what happens? The very stone itself was the stumbling block that brought the Jewish people down. Why? Because they were so caught up into their laws into their commandments, into their traditions, into their rituals, and they were working themselves through what they perceived to be the will of God, that when God himself came into their midst, they did not accept him. Oh, Father, this is the message that you have to give to the world. 
This is why God is teaching us about evangelism. It is not about the rules. It is not about the rituals. It is not about the regulations. It is about faith in Jesus Christ. How do you get saved? Very simply, I have faith in Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. You don't need to go through a rigmarole about going through theology 101. All of that is unnecessary. Don't get stuck in the weeds of theology. Do you hear that? Don't get stuck in the weeds of theology. Theology is interesting, but here at the end of the day is the only thing that counts. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for your sins. Amen. That's it. Amen. Nothing else. Jesus plus nothing else is salvation. And don't let anybody else tell you anything differently. And that's why they fell over the stumbling block of Jesus Christ. That is why the thief on the cross that despicable human being sitting there and being crucified appropriately so for his deeds could look at Jesus and say, Lord, remember me this day in your paradise. Remember me this day, Lord. That's it. I didn't say anything else. I didn't get baptized. I didn't go through theology 101. That's all I said. Lord, remember me this day. One word, one verse. And what does Jesus do? He says, this day you shall be with me. That's the message to remember as you leave here for the season, as we wrap this thing up. That one word, you got to go out into a, world, into a world that is lost and bring that word. Don't worry about coming through the various minefields of theology and denominationalism. All right? Don't get stuck up in those weeds. I told a dear brother who I love, uh, who's a, a good Bible teacher, um, but in, inevitably he seemed to be stuck. On, on certain issues in the Bible, certain theological issues, uh, and they became a stumbling block for him. And I said to him, you know what the problem is? You are deep in the weeds of theology. You need to get deep in the weeds of Jesus. All right? Here's the thing. Deep in the weeds of Jesus. Could I come up here and give you a sermon in, in which I go through all of the theological aspects of, of, of the Bible? Yes! But what good would that do? What good would that do for you? How are you going to give that message to a lost world? The message for a lost world is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Jesus now calls us. Jesus calls us. Yes, his primary ministry was to the Jewish people, uh, but that was because it was three years. It was a finite period of time. But now Jesus is gone, and we look at the words that he makes absolutely clear to us in his last months. Uh, on this world, he makes it absolutely clear that it's our obligation to go into the, all, the whole world, into every facet of the world, and bring the gospel. Turn to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 14. We'll start with verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will become. This is on the signs of the ending of the age. This gospel will be preached to every single person in the world. 
And so someone will say to you, when is the world going to come to an end? And I'm going to say, I don't know the date, but I do know this, that Jesus has told us that when the gospel is preached to every corner of the world, where every person in this world has had a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the curtain will come down. That will be the end of the age. That's, but you see our job. Our job is not to worry about the end of the age. Our job is not to be stuck in the theological high weeds. Our job is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. While you're there in Matthew, look also a couple pages further. Matthew 28, verse 16. This is, here, this is Jesus right before he's going to ascend. Uh, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I love that. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What a great, great commentary and a commission of Jesus Christ. That's your job. Go and preach about Jesus. Go and speak about Jesus. Go and spread the good news that you've heard here. Go and give it to a lost world. Look also at Luke, Luke 24, verse 47. We'll start with 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. All nations beginning in Jerusalem. Start with the Jews first in Jerusalem, then go out to the other most parts of the world. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Well, guess what, folks? You have been powered by Jesus with the Holy Spirit. He has given you everything that you need. It's not the first century church where he wanted you to remain there until the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost has arrived and has come, and you are now sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have given your heart to Jesus, and he has covenanted with you, and he has sealed you forever. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the power. Now you become the witnesses that Jesus wants you to be. You know. You've heard it. Now be that witness. You go and speak to the lost world about what Jesus has done for you and, and how he has done, done this to you. And so when you go out and you spread this message of hope, this message of Jesus Christ to a lost world. Uh, take a look at, at really, as we, we bring this to a close, look at what, what, uh, what the words of, of Paul were in Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Yes, yeah, somebody said it's one of their favorite verses. Verse 8. And so how do you reach these people as you go out and you reach them? You reach them with love. You reach them with care. You reach them with respect. You reach them by letting them know that, you, that they are important to you. It doesn't matter what their past was. The only thing that matters is their future. And you're going to give them the life preserver that God gave you. And you're going to give them this message of hope. And so you're going to focus, Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever 
is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. That's what it is. Dwell on the greater things, on the blessed things, on the higher things, the pure things, the things that you have seen with your own eyes and heard with your own ears. You know God has touched you. God has elevated you. Your lives here have all been impacted. Now take all of that and go out those doors and change the world. Deliver the message that Jesus has given us to give to those people who are earnestly in need. Knock down the walls and bring them in. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words that you have given us. I thank you for your message, Lord. I thank you for you teaching us how to evangelize to a lost world. And Lyle, Lord, we know that there is no difference between Jew or Gentile, that we are all the same, that you have created us the same and given us all the same opportunities. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to go out and spread these noble things, these praiseworthy things to a desperately lost world. Let each of us be inspired today to go out and live our lives this way. And now, Father, as we bring this season to a, to a close, I pray that you be with our men, that you bless them and protect them every way and lift them up and affirm them and help them to dwell, to dwell deeper into your word until we get the chance to be together again as we continue this study in the next season. Lord Jesus, we put all of this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.